Good morning and welcome to worship at Kern Church. My name is Will and I'm the pastor and it's a joy to be with you all today. If you're joining us on our live stream, I want to say a special word of welcome. Thank you for making us a part of your morning routine or really maybe if you're watching this later, wherever you are. I hope that today you experience what we want you to experience, a sense of belonging and hope through a life renewed by Jesus Christ and deeply committed to other people. That's what we're about here at Kern Church, and that's my hope for you, regardless of how you're joining us in worship this day. Next week is the, the Sunday before uh, Independence Day, and I know that, that many people are, are probably you know, have big plans for that week, but we're going to have a special service next week uh, of prayer, of healing, and of communion. And so we're going to make some. Uh, uh, we're going to spend some time in prayer and spend some time inviting you to pray. And so uh, this will be an important service, uh, hopefully a meaningful service for you, and really a service that you'll want to be able to participate in person if if you're able to. And so I invite you to to join us next week uh, for this special time of prayer, and uh, we'll then be able to respond in ways that that I believe will be meaningful and enriching in your life, but also but also for for our world and for our community that is in, in need of prayer. Well, this morning, I, speaking of prayer, I want to offer a word of prayer as we continue in worship. Most holy God, thank you for this day, for the many ways that you bless your church. I, I pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, and that you, you are blessed as we worship you, and that you bless each heart who is here. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. You know, in, in many ways, there are two kinds of, of people in the world. First, you have those who like to follow the rules, right? The, the rule followers. Maybe they don't go the speed limit all the time, right? But uh, when it comes to most things in life, that when it comes to work and, and family and the things that you're supposed to do, they do things often the way that they think, at least, that they're supposed to do it. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing. I, I mean, society is built around having established rules and, and protocols for things. And, and these folks generally kind of uh, follow these protocols to function in the system. And, and people who, who have a high tendency to follow the rules, they generally will accept the system that they're in and uh, maybe want to make it better. And so they will work inside the system to work to make life better from the inside out. And they will often be people who are precise about things. So these are good qualities, right? They will often be people who are precise about things and value real accuracy in the way they go about doing these things. These are also people who are very methodical, tend to be very methodical, and also people who take deliberate action, take, are very deliberate about the actions that they take. Now, sometimes we use the term uh, rule follower as kind of like a schoolyard insult. You know, people who are like brown nosing or whatnot to their, I don't even know if that's a term anymore, um, but, but people who are trying to suck up to, to their teachers or to those that are in charge. And, and so sometimes, sometimes uh, the, the term rule follower is used as an insult, but, but generally the, the traits that I've just spoken of, I mean, I think these are pretty good traits. Now, I realize maybe the reason I think they're pretty good traits is because maybe I'm talking about myself just a little bit, and, 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 I, and because when I take like personality tests, I tend to rate like at least modestly high when it comes to like following established rules and following kind of order and stuff. 
Um, but I, I, I think this is something that has served me well because it gives me a framework to, to work on problems and, and to understand complex, uh, complex decisions that have to be made in situations and hopefully to make a positive difference. But then there are people whose whole view of life, it seems, is that rules were created to be broken. Rules were made to be broken, right? Um, <laughs> that, 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 that if you find a rule, that it needs to just be broken. These are, these are people who often resist outside authority and will challenge rules simply for the sake of, of challenging them. Often these folks will, will take criticism too personally sometimes and, and often need help managing their time or, or focusing on the details. But if I'm honest, often it is the rule breakers who are also more flexible and innovative when it comes to trying to find uh, a new, uh, new solutions to problems, new solutions to new problems, to experimenting with new ideas. They're able to easily they're able to easily adapt to different situations and to work creatively to find new approaches. But regardless, um, uh, even though uh, rule breakers perhaps you know may want to like sell all their stuff and then and then like buy a van and travel across the country like this you know free spirit type stuff. Regardless of this, even um, even if someone views themselves as a rule breaker, rules and protocols. I mean, these are things that are kind of important. Uh, I mean, I think even the biggest rule breakers amongst us would would realize this and, and say, yeah, I mean, certain types of rules and certain types of values, these are things that are important. I mean, you see, in, in many ways, rules provide the guardrails for helpful behavior. So you can do just about anything you want within these established guardrails, and these guardrails, if they're installed properly, can help... Um, there's like a massive problem of guardrails being installed wrong in our country. And so like, I mean, these, anyways, it's a whole thing. Like if you want to get in like a YouTube rabbit hole, just start researching guardrails and how they're supposed to function and save lives. And then what happens, anyway, don't watch what happens if they're not installed properly. But like, I mean, anyways, that's a whole nother thing for, for somebody that's smarter than I am. Um, but, or at least guardrails smarter than I am. Like specialization is important. Uh, but but rules and it function in a way that that provide guardrails for for things that that you know that that help us be kind of together as a society. There are some who will skirt around the edges, but but for the most sake, most sake, there's you know people tend to stay inside the protocols. And these protocols and and rules, these are things that were created to help tie people together. They're not just some things for the most part that exist for the sake of existing, but these are things that create are created to help tie people together. Some of them are actual rules and some of them are actual laws, but often and more often than not these guardrails tend to be just kind of agreed upon values like how much you should tip your server now in, in america there's certain conventions around tipping because servers are, are are underpaid on the wage side and so they rely on on tips to to make an actual wage and so it's important that if you're going to eat out that you tip your servers a responsible amount and and so these are kind of agreed upon values but if you go to a different place a, if you go to different places around the world, they have different differing views on what is an acceptable tip because they pay differently. But then also, you know, there's things like like not scheduling a birthday parties and or kids' birthday parties, especially in church events, 
on Saturday afternoons in the South. Like, that is sacred time more than anything else in the fall, at least. You know, like, you know, Saturday night, Saturday afternoon in the fall is, is when you don't schedule kids' birthday parties and church events because nobody's going to show up. And if they do, they're going to expect their game being on the TV. This is a, an accepted value and protocol that, that we kind of define as how to live life. And oftentimes, maybe... Um, maybe you have, have done this, people will, will look back on the past as, as, a, past, as a time of glory, as a time of, of a golden age, because people had a, a shared sense of identity. They had a shared sense of value. I've heard it said many times, like, you know, we can't do that anymore be, because people's values have changed, or we can't do things like that because people's values have changed. And oftentimes, People will look back on the past. I, I used to would say that people of a certain age would look back on the past, but now I'm realizing the certain age is like me, so it's really just any age, I think, that you've been around for a while. You can look back on the past as like a better time in life because people agreed or had better values. And then if you look at the political landscape today, many feel as if there is a sense, uh, many feel kind of like a sense of unease as it relates to politics and just kind of life in general, because people view their values, their values and their protocols for living their whole lives as, as being threatened, as being under threat. The way that they had been taught that the world was supposed to work doesn't tend to work that way all the time. And, and sometimes people view this as a threat upon themselves. Now, I don't want to comment on, on whether this is an accurate assessment of things, or, or whether people should actually be feeling this way. But I think it is something that, that most generations have felt at some period of time. I think it's something that most generations have felt that their children are losing it, right? And, and that they're the only ones that could actually be any good at doing things. But I do believe, I do believe that society, our society as a whole, that we're moving toward a reality where there are multiple and sometimes competing values, protocols, and rules. So maybe in, in your ideal past, you, you believed that there was a one unified rule that kept, kept people together, but now it, it seems that, that there's probably not one rule, but, but that people have competing sometimes or multiple values and protocols and rules that they work with. And, and if I were to guess, this is probably the cause for some of the lack of and broken trust that you and I see around us every, every day. People can't agree on their stated values or their stated protocols. Or maybe they interpret these values differently. So, so somebody interprets a value that you hold in a different way and sometimes in a way that you couldn't even imagine interpreting it. And so you, you see this person as a threat. And oftentimes what happens is that people assume that other people are untrustworthy because they think differently about their values and they, they even express different values and rules that are important to them and they vote differently. So if everyone agreed on these things, if everyone agreed on, a, on established rules and established ground rules and established values, you would probably see higher levels of, of implicit trust in, in society as a whole and in, in relationships in our neighborhoods, but that's just not the world in which we live. And this complicates things. 
Now, I don't think it's bad, and I'll just be real here. I don't think this is necessarily bad. I think this is a descriptive thing, and maybe I'm off base. I don't think this is just necessarily bad, but I do think it complicates things. It makes things difficult. Because if you cannot build trust or rebuild trust on a shared understanding of values or protocols or rules, like you've got to figure out something else. Like If you're going to have trust again, you have to figure out something else on which to build it. You have to find something else to use as the starting point to building trust. And this is where I believe that our fourth key to building trust comes in. Now, over these past few weeks, if, you, if you've been with us here at Kern Church, we've been exploring the keys to unlocking the power of trust in your life. We live in a world where trust is broken and, and where trust is at an all-time low, at least in the United States. And, and we've been talking about the things that you can do as a follower of Jesus to work to rebuild the trust in your life and in your relationships and really society as a whole. And so if you were with us over the past few weeks or, or if you're new, I want to just kind of review where we've been over the past four weeks because I think these are helpful. The first, the first step or first key to rebuilding trust is the reality that it all begins in the heart. It all begins in your heart. It all begins with you becoming and, and cultivating in yourself a de- sense of deep personal integrity where what you say you are is, is actually how you live your life. And the second key is about not gossiping. It's about talking to people rather than talking about people. It means, it means stop talking about people when things come up or, or when there's disagreements and instead do the difficult thing and, and talk to people just to talk to people. And if someone is talking about someone, shut them down and tell them to go talk to that person instead of talking about them. And then last week, we we discussed how always there's going to be a a gap between your expectation and your reality. The way that you expect things to go or the way that you expect people to behave and then the reality in which they don't meet up with your expectations. And you really have a choice. You can either assume the worst about that person. You know, that, that Yahoo that cut me off on traffic, cut me off in traffic, they're, they're probably, you know, a terrible person in every area of their life and, you know, beat their kids and all this kind of stuff. Or you can believe the best about them and, and really work to believe the best about others and instead of just automatically assuming the worst. And that brings us to today. Our, our, our fourth key to unlocking the power of trust, and really the final key that we're going to be speaking about, is, is, and it's simple, it's just to care more. To care more. To build empathy. Because caring at the end of the day is more important than protocols and rules and traditional values. So, so care. Care more. Care more. You, you see, you, you can't really change what's going on in the world. You can't make things the way they once were. You can't make things the way you want them to be necessarily. You can't change the world as a whole, but you can make a difference and you can make things better because you can care more. You can care about other people more. And I think that this fourth and last key to building trust is perhaps the most important because caring really is more important than protocols. Caring is important. And the focus of, 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 the, of cultivating caring and building trust, I want you to know that it comes straight from the life and the teachings of Jesus. 
Because Jesus was someone who always focused on people more so than on rules. He knew that rules were important, but he also knew that people were more important. And so one day, Jesus was talking to this this expert in the rules, a guy that the Bible will tell us was a legal expert. So this was somebody who knew the rules and knew how to follow the rules and knew how to tell other people to follow the rules. And he came to Jesus trying to test him. And, and in this conversation that, that Jesus has with this man, he, he tells a story about, about how rules are not meant to be more important than people, but how people are, are really the ones that are important, are really the ones of, of value. And if you want to follow along in your Bible with this story, I'm going to be looking at Luke chapter 10. And so this is a part of the Bible that was written by Luke who is trying to, to demonstrate and to share with you a story that Jesus tells. And what's going on is, is this, like this, this legal expert is having this conversation with, with Jesus, and Jesus is really just, just listening and trying to, to intelligently share. And so this is what happens in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. The legal expert says, Teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? And, and Jesus replies, well, you know the law. You're a legal expert, so what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? And he responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love the neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, well, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So, so here, Jesus establishes what is the most important thing. Loving God and loving other people. The legal expert is, is this rule follower, and he knows the importance of following protocol, but even he realizes from the Jewish tradition that he was brought up in, he points out the value of caring for other people, that that, that is one of the things that comes most like first. The value of caring for others, of loving others, of having empathy, the value here is important. But the legal expert could like go on his way, leave good enough alone, but he doesn't. He's trying to test Jesus, and he, he wants to make sure that he has all his bases covered, and he's trying to perhaps trip Jesus up. So Luke tells us in verse 29 that the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. So he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is like, you're supposed to love your neighbor? And he's like, well, well who is my neighbor? And you see, this idea of loving God and loving neighbor, it wasn't new. I mean, the legal expert here is quoting a passage from the Bible as he knows it. What's our, our Old Testament? The, the part of the Bible that was written before Jesus. And, and this is something, so this idea about who your neighbor is and loving God and loving neighbor is found in our Old Testament. And the legal scholar was well familiar with this. In fact, this protocol goes way back and there was some agreement in the first century about who a neighbor was. And, and, and the, the, the rabbis, who were kind of like the religious teachers of the day, the rabbis uh, sought to define who a person's neighbor was because it was important to God, so it was important to them. And while there was some different definitions on who your neighbor was, many kind of narrowed it or whittled it down to the narrowest definition that the word neighbor only applied to their fellow Jews. So that, was, that would be like saying the neighbor only applied, your neighbor only applies to people who, who look like you or the same religion as you. And that's what some of these early rabbis said. In fact, an old biblical commentator is writing about this and he said, some of them said 
that it was illegal to help a Gentile woman. Now, Gentiles would be people who weren't Jews. So it would be illegal to help a Gentile woman in the time of childbirth, for that would only have been to bring another Gentile into the world. So like, this is how much some of them viewed that, that, that helping somebody who was different than you might even be, uh, might even be sinful. But Jesus doesn't go for this. He, he doesn't even entertain the, 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 the question here. Jesus is more interested in, in, in people than in protocols. And so instead of answering directly, because that's going to get in a whole mess of things, he just decides to tell them a story. He decides to tell them a story. And the story is a, a story that many of you, if not most of you, are familiar with. The story of the Good Samaritan. And this is the way Luke records it in verse 30. Jesus replied, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered three thieves who stripped him naked, beat him, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was going down the same street. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came to that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. So you have this man who's a Jewish man, He's walking the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this, isn't, this is not like just walking the road from wherever to wherever. This is a, a serious trip. Jerusalem sits high on the, a hilltop. It's like the highest point in the area. And Jericho is, is I'm pretty sure, the lowest, uh, lowest elevation of any inhabited city. It's 900 feet below sea level. Okay, so, so the, the, the elevation change from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 3,000 feet downhill. And, and I've been to the area, and it's downhill through like rocks and cliffs and, and like scary places to walk. And so as you were walking, the, the desert sun would beat down, and there would be shadows that thieves and robbers could hide in. And, and there, was, there were there switchbacks and turns that happened all through this. It's a very dangerous place. And, and the people that are hearing this story, when they hear a man walk from Jerusalem to Jericho, they, they're, they're hearing this story and knowing what that means. It's as if uh, somebody's complaining about traffic today. Like It's such a common experience that they know that this is a dangerous thing that's happening. So this traveler is beaten, left for dead, and then Jesus tells us that a priest and a Levite come across this man who'd been beaten. And so that's a good thing. Like, here comes this religious person and then another religious person, and, and, and they're coming to, to help save this guy. Um, surely that's what's going to happen, because we all know that, that this priest and the Levites, and Levites were, were kind of like up, upper-class folks who were also, also kind of priestly people, and so, so they're supposed to care for other people. And so surely, surely the priest is going to help out. But what happens is, is they walk to the other side of the road completely forgetting about this man who's dying on the road. Now, it sounds to me, that, and probably to you, that these, this priest and this Levite, they're just really kind of being super selfish because they don't want to be bothered to help another human being. But what Jesus' first followers would know when they heard this word, or when they heard this story, is that it's not just that the priest and the Levite were being selfish, it's that they were following the rules. They were following the protocols of their day to the T. They were being rule followers. I mean, the priest and the Levite, they think this man is dead, or at least near death, and they remember the protocol that if anyone touches a dead body, 
they're going to be unclean for seven days. So if you touch a dead body, you're unclean for seven days. It's like being around somebody that has COVID in the early part of the pandemic. You're in isolation, right, for 14 days. You can't, you can't be near anybody else. And that's kind of what's going on here is that, that the, the priest is going to miss his rotation in the temple. The, the Levite isn't going to be able to do the things he wants to do if they touch this person who's probably about to die, if not already dead. They will be unclean. And so they're like, you know what? I'm good. I'm just going to walk to the other side of the street and forget, forget like they were there. Jesus is, is making a point that following the protocols at the expense of someone's life or, by, or following the protocols at the expense of not caring for someone is not good. I mean, he's showing us this, this, this image of, of people who are following the rules so closely, but yet harm is coming in the midst of it. And then the story continues in verse 33 that a Samaritan was on a journey and he came to where this man was, but when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. Now it's likely that this sentence doesn't come as a surprise to you. I mean, you have heard the term Good Samaritan. Even if you don't know this story, you have heard the term Good Samaritan because we have Good Samaritan laws that, that protect people who, who help an injured stranger, even if you don't have like all the, the medical necessity or the medical knowledge, even if you're trying to help somebody who is in harm's way. So we have, we associate in our society even today the term Good Samaritan with people who lend a helping hand. But for Jesus' first audience, those who are first hearing this, they had this kind of protocol and these traditional values that recognized Samaritans as enemies. In fact, Jews and Samaritans, they were not considered neighbors. They were not supposed to associate with one another. There were protocols that kept Jews and Samaritans apart from each other. So the Samaritan should follow the example of the, the, the priest and the Levite and cross to the other side of the road and kind of, kind of go on his way. But the Samaritan here, Jesus is showing us, the Samaritan realizes that caring is more important than protocol. So in verse 34, we read that the Samaritan went to him, bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he, he took two full days' worth of wages and, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. The priest and the Levite followed protocol. And, and I guess that the Samaritan should have done the same thing, but the Samaritan cared. The Samaritan cared. The Samaritan cared, had empathy, and broke with protocol and saved the man's life. You see, caring is more important than protocol. And then Jesus asked the legal expert a question to kind of close out this encounter. Because remember, this story is being told as he's having a, an encounter with a legal expert. And, and Jesus asked the man in verse 36, so what do you think? Which one of these three was the neighbor to the man who encountered the thieves? And the legal expert knows there is only one answer. So he says, the one who demonstrated mercy towards him. And Jesus said, well, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. In this exchange, Jesus is trying to teach this, this legal expert, the same principle that caring is more important than protocols. That, that, that normally the, the legal expert would probably try to argue with Jesus, but here he knows he's been beat and he just kind of uh, agrees with Jesus. And so Jesus tells him to go and, and to live this kind of caring. Friends, 
You want to know how to build trust. And Jesus says it right here. He says, care more. Jesus says, care more. Even when there are rules or or values or protocols in place that try to stop the caring, Jesus says, just just care more. The encounter between the Samaritan and and the Jew who has been beaten couldn't change anyone's distrust distrust with one another. It it couldn't change the fact that that Jews distrusted Samaritans and Samaritans distrusted Jews. But what it did change, it changed for those who were involved. It created a relationship where there had been none. It created trust where there had only been mistrust. So in light of Jesus' story about the Samaritan who broke protocol through caring, what can you do to care more? What can you do to care more and to build trust? How can you live this? I mean, simply put, you can place caring ahead of of other things. For example, you can ask questions. I mean, just the simple act of, of asking questions can go a long way. Asking questions to create curiosity in your relationships with other people. When you encounter somebody or you have a meeting with somebody, ask them, how are you? Just that simple question. How are you? are you? Even if, if you have something difficult to talk to them about, remember we're talking to people and not about people, so even if you have something difficult to talk to somebody about, just a simple uh, action of asking them, how are you doing? Take the time to listen. Once somebody gave this advice to me, and I take it with me everywhere, and so if you, have a, if you and I have a meeting, I'm going to begin it with this question, how are you? And this is especially important in leadership because people need to know you care before, before they will listen to you or, or, or follow you anywhere. They need to know you care, and it's such a simple question. And often people will answer the question very short, shortly. I mean, when somebody asks you how you're doing, the most common response is, I'm doing all right, or, or I'm fine, or everything's okay. And that's mostly how people respond. But sometimes you have things in your heart that you can't hold in. You have things going on in your life that are so important, but nobody's asked you about them yet. Nobody's asked you how you're doing. And and sometimes people just need to talk. And, And by asking the question, it can open them up, open other people up to the possibility that you actually want to hear, that you actually care, that you actually want to listen. And so sometimes, instead of just saying, I'm fine, people will share what's going on in their lives. And maybe as they share this, the whole conversation changes because you realize that they weren't so wrong after all or that they've got something else going on in their life. And through caring, you begin to build and cultivate a relationship of trust. Or maybe you have a different point of view of somebody and you let them know, you know, I want to understand. I want to understand you. Too often... You do this, I I do this. Too often, people try to be understood rather than to try to understand. You're like, let me explain this to you. Well, instead of explaining it to you, maybe you should just listen. To try to understand someone instead of being understood. Let others know you care about them. Ask them about their story. You have a discussion, sure, about your different viewpoints, but only after you establish the care and the deep concern for their life experience, for what's going on, because caring is more important than the protocols. And when you build and establish care, these, this is when you can grow trust. 
And imagine what it would happen, what would happen if, if the followers of Jesus really focused on this at a society level. If the people of God valued empathy and care above being right and lived it. I mean, really lived it. This would have implications through all, through all of society. I mean, think about the impact on your relationships with your spouses, your, your children, your friends, your coworkers. That if you and I just focused on caring and, and understanding how much trust could be enriched and our relationships improved. And imagine, imagine the impact that can be lived in every area of life. We could really work to rebuild the broken trust around you and, and, and around me. And we could find our society and, and in our political sphere, perhaps even, even leverage to continue to build deep trust just by understanding and by showing others that you care. If you, really, if you can really imagine the impact here. If you can see the trust, the power that trust has. That if you were able to unlock this power of trust in your life and your relationships, things will improve and you will grow closer to other people. Your life will be enriched. And this all happens through caring more. It means being a person of, of deep personal integrity. It means, it means talking to people, not about people. It means believing the best in others instead of assuming the worst. And perhaps most of all, it just means caring more just means caring more. Because if you care more, and if you really care for people more, the rest of the stuff just kind of takes care of itself. You begin to believe the best. You begin to talk to people. You begin to value people because you really, really care. So right now I want to pray for you. Pray for your hearts. Pray for the, the building up of trust in your life. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank You. I thank You for... For, for your Holy Spirit that, that says that sends to your church to care more. That speaks in the, in the words of the prophets that say that, that caring is, is often more important than, than established rules and protocols. And so God, I pray that you would open the heart of each one. That each one who is here and hearing these words, that, that you will pour into them a spirit of, of caring and of love. That you will help each one be, be the one, the kind of person who tries to understand before being understood. And that you would help us together to grow in trust and relationship with you, with all around us. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. May that happen right here in your heart that God's kingdom will come and that the care of God will, will be full in your heart so that you can express it and share it with others. I want to invite you to join us next week for a special time of prayer, a special service of prayer and healing and communion. And I am really excited to be able to share that in you. May you be blessed this day in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.